And we welcome you in to the Dog Bowl in Berea. It is episode six of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs. To the left of me, Andrew Gribble. We are back from Indianapolis. We've gotten our iarias. We've gotten our tacos. Uh, we, we've gotten all our food in long hours, long days. I somehow did not have one piece of steak while I was in Indianapolis, which is a commendable achievement on my part. I, knowing that the steak options are plentiful and, of course, the world-famous St. Elmo's. I did have a shrimp cocktail, yeah. and it was quite delightful. So uh, we've recovered. We're kind of recovered. I, my sleep is still way off on everything. I know, I've slept like a baby the last four nights. I, I feel that way, but then I like wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I don't know what's going on with that, but – we made it home, some of us driving home with one eye open with, for the last hour of the trip, but we have made it home nonetheless. The Combine now in the rearview mirror and one step closer to the 2020 NFL Draft in Las Vegas, April 23rd through the 25th. And Gribble, uh, uh, quite the week in Indianapolis. And, you know, we go into the Combine every year and we say workouts aren't going to matter and it's about the interviews and – and it's about, you know, the meetings and the 15 minutes and what they say in their press conferences. The workouts were a big deal in Indianapolis last week. They were, but I'll still stand by all the other stuff meaning a lot more, especially when it pertains to the Browns and the number 10 pick. I think they all, especially these offensive linemen, they all knew these guys were really good. And this is the best class of offensive tackles we've seen. Really, I can't even remember the last time. Uh, maybe it's because the Browns haven't really been in the market the way they are this year for it, but you've had a rough last couple of drafts and it's kind of built up to this point where you're, you've got a loaded class of talented offensive tackles where in some years a guy like a Josh Jones or Austin Jackson might be your first tackle off the board and those guys might be fifth or sixth. So it's it's a it's a great class and, and a lot of those guys were impressive. There was really no bad moments for some of the major offensive tackles, all of whom did pretty much uh, uh, everything you wanted them to do uh, at the Combine. There was no... 40-yard dash records broken, none of that stuff, but but some good moments from a lot of the players who have been linked to the Browns, the off- offensive tackle-wise, and the rare exceptions of the non-offensive tackles also had good moments. Like an Isaiah Simmons uh, had a blazing 40 time and just looked like an athletic freak, and uh, Jeff Okuda didn't have the best 40 time, but also just looked so fluid going through a lot of those drills. So it, it kind of verified a lot of what you wanted to see, and all the buzz surrounded the quarterbacks, which those guys really didn't work out all that much. But the, the buzz surrounding a guy like a Jordan Love is good news for the Browns in that you're hoping four quarterbacks are going before you pick at number 10. Yeah, the more the merrier. Yeah, As long as the offensive line group keeps shuffling down and moving down, that, that is nothing but a positive for your Cleveland Browns, and it, it's, it's obvious. We've, we've almost had to get rid of the mock draft segment on the best podcast available because everybody has us taking an offensive lineman. There's no one differing. There's no wide receiver that sneaks in. There, there's nothing else. There's not a tight end. There's not a safety, a defensive back. Literally every mock draft is just an offensive lineman. Yeah. I mean, the mocks we put together that are going to come out on clevelandbrowns.com. And I know that there's a lot of buzz about Isaiah Simmons, and I think most of them have him off the board by the time the Browns pick at number 10. But part of me just wonders, like, he does not play the position that is closest to the quarterback in terms of how you're valuing position value to your team. You know, that's why if this week of offensive tackle performance vaults a number of these guys up there, 
that's when you wonder if Isaiah Simmons, who's not going to be your traditional pass rusher, who would be, be someone that gets close to the quarterback, that's when you wonder, could he slip down to number 10? Does, does a guy like Jeff Okuda, who helps stop quarterbacks as a quarterback, does he have more of a chance of being a lock in the top 10 than a Simmons does if there is a run on offensive tackles ahead of the Browns? So though, that's why I'm, I'm – I'm not saying it's a lock that those guys are gone before the Browns pick. I think it's a high likelihood, but there, there, there's a lot to be figured out in the next couple months. Yeah, no question about it. All right, stronger position from top to bottom now that we're through the combine. Wide receiver or offensive lineman? I mean, I think uh, overall the, the, the wide receiver group is deep. And I think that when we talked to Dane last week, the thing he mentioned about how I think a lot of these guys are going to fall – is because they keep, you're going to keep thinking that you can get this value in the later rounds. So I agree with him where I'm, I'm identifying that fourth round as maybe somewhere the Browns go after a wide receiver. So I think that's a deeper group, but I think the top-end talent in offensive linemen is, is so much better and more guaranteed to help your team right now than wide receivers. I, I think that's why you're going to see potentially five guys go in the top 15. You're not going to see five wide receivers go in the top 15. You might see two. You might see a most. run from 15 to 30. Right. But you're not going to see – I think a lot of teams are going to wait to address that wide receiver position into the second half of the first round, and then day two is where you'll see a lot of that, those guys go. All right, offensive linemen that stood out to you at the draft. And there are some numbers. The, the numbers are impressive for a lot of these guys uh, in terms of what they did and what they flashed, what they said at their podiums, what they said in their interviews. Is there an offensive lineman that stood out to you? Yeah, I think it's Tristan Wirth. And I think the number that stood out to me is obviously he did the 4.85 second 40-yard dash. That's really, really good for an offensive lineman. But the fact that he had a vertical leap of 36 and a half inches, which was a better vertical leap than C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. I mean, that that is just incredible to me. And it just shows the athleticism he has. He's a former wrestler, has all that background. He showed up and showed out at the Combine. Now you wonder – and this is where we'll get to in the mock drafts. Does, did he price himself out of the Browns? Like that's what I, that's the, the thing you got to wonder is when you look at the some of these teams ahead of the Browns, are they going to value a Tristan Wirfs better than some of these other offensive tackles? Because the thing I've noticed in a lot of the mock drafts is that you've basically swapped the spots for Jedrick Wills from Alabama and Tristan Wirfs, and that's all of a sudden you're seeing so many more Jedrick Wills to the Browns than you're seeing Tristan Wirfs to the Browns. It was it was. Just kind of opposite. And Jedrick Rolls had a very good combine. He just didn't do what yeah. Tristan Wirfs did. Yeah. So, but I still think with the Browns, I think they're going to, that those that, those numbers check boxes and verifies what you've probably seen on tape. But to me, it's all going to come down to fit. It's all going to come down to interviews. And I think that's, that's what's going to matter for all these teams taking these tackles. All right. Thoughts on the new combine format? Uh, the workouts being moved to prime time. Brutally early mornings at the podium at 8 a.m. And the podium essentially being done by 1030 in the morning and then nothing till four o'clock. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on the new format, good, bad, indifferent? I mean, first off, no one outside of us cares about when the media time is. I think that's just that's just a, that's, a, that's an inside baseball problem for us. So I think that's just going to be fine. I actually liked it. Uh, I liked getting stuff out of the way. I mean, I remember how things used to be. Uh, back when they had it at Lucas Oil, oh. you'd be in a room from 10 to 5 and had no idea when anyone was coming in, uh, and you just had to wait. And a lot of the times the guys you wanted just never made it. Uh, so they've they've got it now down to a well-oiled machine where those guys are at the podium when they say they're going to be. So they've fixed that end of it, which 
again, fans don't care about, but for guys like us, that makes a, a world of difference. I mean, I don't, it'll just be interesting. I think once you take the toothpaste out of the tube with moving workouts to prime time, you feel like it's going to stick there. Uh, based on the ratings I saw, sure. it, it, did, it did all right. But I saw that this past weekend, XFL got more people watching their product than people were watching the Combine. I think that in, in years where maybe you have a little bit more star power, this might not have been the best year to try it out because there just weren't a ton of stars. Your, your projected top two picks in the draft, Joe Burrow and Chase Young, didn't do anything. Uh, there really wasn't any quarterback that did much of anything at the Combine. So I think in years where you have more of a traditional group of stars that actually go through these drills, then it'll do better. I just think once you did this and there wasn't uh, a riot, that you're probably just going to keep sticking with this. The, the numbers were huge on Thursday. Thursday, yeah. Thursday, but that's your quarterbacks, that's your wide receivers. Everything else, it, it kind of came back to earth on uh, Friday and Saturday. Sunday's numbers were okay, and it kind of brought the overall number back up. But uh, some agents talking about and we talked a little bit about this last week on the BPA where agents were saying, well, because of this change, you know, guys like routine, NFL players like routine, college football players, this isn't a routine. It throws my guy out, so that's why I'm not working him out. Should there be some kind of – if you're not going to work out at the Combine – then maybe you don't get invited to the combine. I've seen a couple articles about that. Some maybe silly season type stuff as we try to fill till free agency starts here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. But what what do you make of that? Should there be some kind of stipulation that if you're coming to the combine, you have to work out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's got to be a happy medium there because I think if you start going down that path, then you're gonna then it's almost like similar to the NBA's load management discussion where you basically have to come up with an injury that you can still validate why your guy's sitting out. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree in forcing a guy to participate because there are people like a Joe Burrow who his season went long. And then sure. when you're on that, that when you win the national championship, then the next basically next week and a half after that national championship, you're doing stuff in regards to that and not focusing on your, on working out. Whereas someone a guy who played for a team that didn't make a bowl game, they've been doing this since early December. I mean, I think there's a decided difference in situations where I think some guys just aren't ready. And I think that if you run, say, a, if you're not ready to run the 40 and you embarrass yourself, I think that that's it's and you could have avoided that, then you should have the right to avoid that. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go down the path of forcing these guys to work out. Maybe add an incentive. I would add I would add an incentive if you work out rather than punishing for not working out, if that makes sense. All right, the other big note from the NFL Combine, and it had nothing to do with the draft class, but the prevailing thought is Tom Brady is essentially holding the NFL hostage <laughs> until he makes his decision on what he's going to do. I mean, everybody you talked to just said all the chips are going to fall, and that will, for the rest of the free agents, for the free agent quarterbacks, and that will also determine – where the dominoes fall in terms of the draft and who takes quarterbacks and how many quarterbacks go in the top 10. Tom Brady is the key really to the entire NFL offseason. Yeah, the the one that would interest me most outside of uh, I still think he goes back to the Patriots. I just I just can't get into the belief that he's going to play somewhere else. But if he did go to the Titans, like what does that mean for a Ryan Tannehill? Like he obviously had a very good season last year, but would you feel great if you were any other team and you just give like a Nick Foles contract to Ryan Tannehill, which is probably what it would take. I mean, I, I would, I would wonder like 
I feel like Ryan Tannehill needs the Titans as much as the Titans need him. And I think so that's where the weird chain reaction goes. Like, wouldn't you feel better as a team? Like, if you're the Chargers, wouldn't you feel better about drafting a quarterback and just starting fresh as opposed to bringing in someone like Ryan Tannehill? So there's that. that is why that Brady going anywhere but New England would have the chain reaction. We're seeing a lot of the silly stuff with – do the do the Forty ers make a move for him with with Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean that would be kind of wacky considering Garoppolo got them all the way to the Super Bowl, and he's just what fifteen years younger than Tom Brady. Yeah, and there's just there's just a lot uh, a lot moving around with that. But I, I I'm interested. There, it goes beyond Brady to me because like who who signs Philip Rivers? Who signs Jameis Winston? Yeah, if the Bucks let him walk. Are the Bucks a team that is going to try to move up and get a quarterback if they don't bring Jameis Winston? There there is a lot to to, un, to, to unfold at that quarterback position because it's just you've got a cluster of quarterbacks who are either past their prime or just kind of in that murky mediocrity. Like what happens? Does Andy Dalton get traded, traded or signed to a team that makes him a starter or makes him a competitive backup to someone like a Mitch Trubisky? I mean, there's there's a lot going on there. It, it, it'll be interesting to see. The Browns are just not involved. They're just kind of sitting on the sidelines at this one. Well, and good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's not necessarily a bad thing yet, but it, it is amazing to me. You know, everybody says, well, this could impact the draft and quarterbacks, and it, it's going to impact the guys that are free agent quarterbacks. Like, if you're Marcus Mariota, what what's going on in your mind camp-wise? I mean, are you, you going to get a backup contract? I can't, it, I can't see anyone signing him to be the guarantee. That's starter. what – I mean, all of a sudden, in a in a normal year, if Marcus Mariota was the free agency free agent, him and Jameis were the only two free agent quarterbacks. There'd be a market; someone yep. would overpay him. Now, you're not. I mean, you're you're the fifth or sixth option, and that doesn't count the guys that are coming out in the draft. I mean, you are you're a borderline eh, second string at best. Well, look at a guy like uh, Case Keenum. He's yeah. two years removed from taking the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. And now he's almost a lock to be a backup somewhere. Like there's no one bringing him in to even compete for, for a starting job. I mean, it's just and he got he just recently signed a big deal, signed that big deal with the Broncos, and then moved on to the Redskins. I mean, it's just a it's a crazy business. And this is you don't usually you don't have years like this with quarterbacks. And and this is after Drew Brees settled things up with the Saints. He was available for a little bit, or, yeah, or potentially available. So, I mean, we'll see. I I just think that this stuff can only positively affect the Browns and if the Browns are in the market for a veteran backup quarterback you're getting a guy that's probably more qualified than you would have gotten in most other years I think you're you're gonna get potentially we've seen the reports of Chase Daniels uh, a Case Keenum those are two really good backup quarterbacks that you could bring into your building yeah all right uh, the other NFL news and, and it could impact the draft and that's why I have it in today's rundown is the Jacksonville Jaguars making a trade, sending one of their top defensive backs to the Broncos in exchange for a 2024th round draft pick. Uh, Adam Schefter, the first to report it. Obviously, it's not official till March 18th when the uh, NFL year officially begins. But Jacksonville's picking right in front of the Browns. And they've unloaded some defensive players. They have gotten rid of a lot of guys. <laughs> Leonard Fournette's <laughs> tweet uh, from earlier this week, uh, the whole Will Smith looking around the empty mm-hmm. living room is, you know, the the whole cast and crew from an AFC championship run just a couple of years ago uh, is virtually gone. 
and you have guys that are saying, I'm not going to play, even if you franchise tag me, uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, not a good and, situation. Ngakwe, yeah, he's the one that's kind of – he doesn't want to stick around Jacksonville very much longer beyond this season, it sounds like. I would think if you take a look at this, Jacksonville's got to go defense. But could they surprise and go offensive line? We never know what Jacksonville's going to do. And they're the one wild card, I think, that's right in front of no, us. No, and it's interesting because I think Jacksonville's done, like, in the draft a decent job of even though they've had a strong defense, they've kind of stuck with, like, the best player available mindset and, and added to their defense. And I think that that's probably a, a good thing. But now they're in a position where they're they're kind of a mess at quarterback. They've always been a mess at, at wide receiver. Yeah. They just It, it just – one of those things, and they could use another offensive lineman. They could use a lot of things. Uh, I, so I watch for them. They're they're a wild card with what could they could potentially pick. Are they looking to trade back? Are they are they trying to uh, you know just load up on assets and start rebuilding? For the Browns, the team that worries me a little bit for the Browns is the Jets. That they are behind the Browns, have right? A similar behind. similar need at offensive tackle. That's the team I worry about leapfrogging. A team like the Browns. Another wild card that's ahead of the Browns as well is the Carolina Panthers, who have made Trey Turner one of their best offensive linemen available in trade. That signals that they are totally rebuilding this season. Are they someone that could trade back and have someone vault up and get an offensive lineman? Because they're one of those teams ahead of the Browns that have not been linked to offensive linemen. They've been linked a lot to defensive tackles. So that's for the Browns. It's it's none of very few of us would expect the Browns to make a move up in the draft. Sure, knowing the background of Andrew Barry and, and this front office, but you, you could be at risk of losing a guy you want, not because of the teams ahead of you, but because of the teams that trade up ahead of you. Yeah, thinking that you were going to be in a great position to get at worst the fourth best offensive right. tackle on the board comes into question, depending if what the Jets do, what Carolina does, Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals. I had no idea what. With, with Kingsbury, who knows? Right. So, something to watch here in the coming weeks, but teams starting to position themselves. Uh, I think Jacksonville now with 10 picks yeah. in the first five rounds, six rounds, something like that. Uh, a lot of draft picks, uh, including two ones and two fours. So, Jacksonville has positioned themselves well. We know what Miami's done, we know what they're capable of doing in terms of going out and going out and getting draft picks as well. Something to watch, something to pay attention to. Time now for our spotlight and our draft expert spotlight. This week features Ryan Wilson, the uh, draft analyst for CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. He was kind enough to give us a few minutes of his time. He's got a new mock draft out just off of the NFL Combine. We'll get his reaction to the Combine, the offensive lineman, all that and more. Have a listen. My question to you to kick things off, your your biggest takeaway from a very a very busy week in Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't even know if it starts with the quarterback. Joe Burrow didn't throw, and that's no real surprise. We don't know anything more about Tua because we're still waiting to find out the, the medical reports on his hip and, and if and when he'll throw in April. Um, Jalen Hurts actually ran a good 40 times, so I think that, that was good news for him. He ran a 4 5 9 in terms of uh, his idea to, to be a quarterback at the next level, that's what he wants to do. But I think that fast 40 time puts him in the conversation to be maybe a Taysom Hill type player early on in his career as, as he grows into that quarterback role. Um, and again, we saw Justin Herbert throw and Jordan Love throw and Jackie Beeson throw and, and sort of no real huge takeaways from the fact that they can still throw football overhand. So that said, my, my big takeaway probably starts on defense and it starts with Isaiah Simmons. Who was six four, almost two hundred forty pounds, and ran a four three nine. I think he jumped out of the gym, maybe close to forty inches, 
and he just reconfirmed in Indianapolis a lot of what we saw week in and week out um, during the season at Clemson where he played linebacker, slot corner, <laughs> edge rusher, safety, and he did all those things at a pretty high level. And I think he may have gone from a top ten pick to maybe into the top seven, top five conversation, um, depending on who trades up for quarterbacks and, and that type of, uh, that that conversation we always have. But he was he was outstanding, and he's a guy that if he went number three to the Lions, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I've done what feels like millions of mock drafts, and I typically have either Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn, or, or Jeff Okuda, the cornerback out of Ohio State, going number three to to Detroit, assuming they stay put. But look, if you have one year left, basically to prove yourself, as as head coach Matt Patricia apparently does. Instead of getting one guy who's really, really good, when I get one guy who can play four positions and is really, really good, and I think that would go a long way in helping that defense get back on track in Detroit. But, but for me, the the singular takeaway, if you had to had to get it from me, was the the show that Isaiah Simmons put on, and in spite of knowing we we knew he was going to run well, and he still blew everyone away. Now, was Simmons one of the guys that you moved up from the most of any of the players from from the last mock draft to after the combine or who were some of your biggest gainers and who were some of the 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 guys that fell the most for you yeah he was and part of look i do one every week so part of this is just trying to mix things up and um you maybe it was an overreaction to have him go from 10 or 9 or 8 all the way up to number three which is what i did but i also think he's that good of a player another player that had a really good combine was tristan worst off the tackle in iowa he ran Four eight five, I believe, and he he jumped higher than Dre Hopkins did back at his pro day. So, if you're looking for a, an athletic offensive tackle, and that's exactly what it looked like when you watched Tw- Tristan Wirfs play, he could be your guy. He can play right or left tackle. I had him going all the way up to number four. Um, I had Jeffrey Kuda, uh excuse me, Jordan Love moving up a little bit, but that's more to do with the fact that I don't know if teams are going to love Justin Herbert um, long term. Athletically, he's there. I think Jordan Love endured more in, in terms of dealing with adversity at Utah State than. Justin Herbert had to, and maybe that serves him well long-term. In terms of the guy that fell, A.J. Epinesa out of Iowa, Tristan Wirfs' teammate who plays defensive end, is 6'5", 275 is what he, was, what he weighed in at. And he ran um, over five seconds in the 40. And he only bench pressed 17. When you watch him play, he plays much stronger than someone who benches 17, uh, uh, 225. But um, – we talked to him last week at the Combine, and he said, I compare myself, I pattern my game after J.J. Watt. And he said, look, I am not J.J. Watt, I understand that, but that's at this size, that's who I want to be. But J.J. Watt ran a 4.83, I think, and he put up the 225, 25 to 30 times, I feel like. So there's some disparity there, and Epinesa knows he'll have to get stronger, but uh, he'll need to improve his pro day. He He's probably low first-round guy for me after the, before the Combine, and now he's probably a second-round guy for me. That's not terrible, but if he had balled out at the Combine, he would have probably moved into the middle of round one. Now, when it concerns the Browns, you had a guy like you just mentioned, Tristan Wirfs, move all the way up to, to number four. Do you, do, you, do you wonder if his Combine performance maybe priced himself out of being available for the Browns at number 10, or, or do you think it might come back to, to kind of the fit with all these guys with these teams that need offensive tackles? Well, the great thing for the Browns is there are five guys who could go in the first round at offensive tackle, and one of them will definitely be there when the Browns are on the clock at 10. So whether it's Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, Jedrick Wills out of Alabama, who played primarily right tackle, Thomas can play right or left, and Mitchell Warps, who can play right or left. There's um, Josh Jones out of Houston, who's insanely athletic. He played primarily left tackle. And uh, there's a name I'm forgetting. I've gone over these guys so many times. Who else we got? Andrew Thomas, Josh Jones. And Austin Jackson out of uh, USC is also a really athletic left tackle who will need to grow into that role. 
But that said, he is going to be uh, probably really good in a year or two. So there will be guys on the table there. And, again, we talk about these quarterbacks, teams trading for the quarterbacks, teams wanting players like Isaiah Simmons that will help push these offensive tackles down. Uh, That said, I would imagine the Browns would not be uh, unhappy if Isaiah Simmons happened to be there at 10 or or Jeffrey Kuda, um, Denzel Ward's former team, and happened to be there at 10. Uh, I think 10 is actually a really good spot. You're going to get a fantastic player, even someone like Derek Brown, the defensive tackle I mentioned. Um, So I think the good news for the Browns, if you want to call it that, that of all the needs they have, they will almost certainly fill that need uh, at number 10 with with whomever they land in the first round. Can you remember, and we're talking with Ryan Wilson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ryan Wilson CBS, CBS Sports draft analyst and NFL analyst as well. Can you? Re- when was the last time an offensive tackle class was this deep that we're that we're talking about three and maybe even four tackles going in the top twelve? Yeah, Mackie Beck, uh, Mackay Beckton's the other guy I mentioned somehow. And he's a, the biggest person on the planet, six seven two sixty uh, three sixty four. He ran a five one, and he has seventeen percent body fat, and he is an absolute monster. He can just ragdoll guys, so somehow overlooked him. But he is the fifth one that we talk about. But yeah, this class is so deep, and I'm trying to think back the last time because typically what happens is teams panic for offensive or defensive linemen, and they move up to get these guys. We saw it last year with the Falcons, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. But this is a situation where you can just stand pat, and you're going to get someone uh, if you're the top twenty, top twenty five picks. There's no reason to panic, and um, I can't recall off the top of my head the last time we've had a class this deep. Interestingly, the wide receiver class is maybe deeper this year than the offensive line class and, and deeper much certainly than the 2014 class, which started with Odell Beckham and Sammy Watkins and uh, went on and down the line in that, in that 2014 group. But uh, these are definitely two of the strongest positions, so if you're looking for either offensive linemen, wide receivers, or both. Uh, you picked a, ter- a great time to, to, to uh, have those needs going into 2020. What's your opinion on kind of the safety class and the, the pass rusher group, especially when it pertains to, to what might be available early on day two? Are there some guys that could maybe slip into a spot where the Browns could, could address those positions early on day two? Neither class is particularly deep. But uh, the Browns pick at 10, and they pick again at 41. You can get a pass rusher at 41. You can get a, a safety at 41. Someone like Josh Uche, the, the edge rusher out of, out of Michigan, could be available at 41. He's 240-ish. He may have to put on some weight. Um, but he, he's extremely athletic. Uh, Jabari Zuniga, uh, another pass rusher, he's a little heavier, 260 and change, I think. He ran really well at the Combine. Battle injuries last year for Florida, but when he's healthy, he, he's a guy to be reckoned with in terms of the safeties. We saw Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin, two small school guys. Uh, Duggar went to Lenore Ryan, which is in Hickory, North Carolina, a D2 school, and, and then Chin went to uh, Southern Illinois, an FCS school. They both balled out, and Chin actually balled out more uh, at the combine in terms of his measurables. He ran a 4.41, I believe. Duggar ran a 4.5. But they're both in that 6'1", 6'2", 215 to 225 range. They can play safety. They can um, they can move up and play linebackers. They can cover tight ends out of the slot. But someone that could be available at 41 is a big school guy, Grant Delpit, um, out of LSU. Coming into the season, he was the number one safety. Um, so it depends on how you feel about Isaiah Simmons as a safety linebacker. But I feel like Xavier McKinney out of Alabama has surpassed him in terms of consistency and versatility. And the big issue with Delpit last year was that he, he just was terrible at tackling people. And part of that was an ankle injury, and he talked to us about that last week at the Combine, how he didn't run this uh, in the Indy because his ankle, uh, he's still getting over that. He wants to run in this pro day. Um, great center fielder, 
not a great tackler, so you have to, to sort of pick and choose what you want. But I feel like there'll be a lot of good talent at 41 for the Browns to to address those needs if they go offensive line in round one. Are there any teams that you see that the Browns might have to worry about at number 10 when it comes to maybe trading ahead of them uh, to get some guys? That the, the team I've mentioned a lot is the Jets because they have similar needs. And, and are there teams you look at that might have a, an incentive to move out of that top 10? I think Detroit would be wise to move down from three. They need a lot of players quickly to save uh, Matt Patricia's job, as I mentioned. It'll be interesting to see what the Redskins do at number two. I don't think they're taking two. I think that conversation seems uh, a bit far-fetched even for, for Washington. But they could trade down to, uh, to again, stockpile picks and um, pass up, obviously, on, on Chase Young, who would probably go from earlier than whenever. Uh, the Giants at number four, Dave Gettleman doesn't like to trade down. But, again, it would make sense for them to trade down. And I think the only people, only players – teams would trade up for would be a quarterback, which is good news again for the Browns. You mentioned the Jets at number 11, who pick right behind them. The word on the street is that they're going to sign a lot of guys in free agency for offensive line, so that could be good news for the Browns in terms of having to worry about that, and maybe they'll focus on a wide receiver, for example, at number 11, whether it's CeeDee Lamb or, or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs. I actually think that the Browns are in pretty good shape. They're going to get a really good player um, if they stay in pat. I don't think they need to trade up and, and, and worry about giving up draft picks to, to move up one or two spots to get their guy, unless they're totally in love with a Tristan Wirfs or, or Jedrick Wells, I would stay put because, again, you could see Jeffrey Kuda fall. You could see Isaiah Simmons fall, depending on what happens with these runs on quarterbacks. So I think they're in good shape, especially if the Jets target these offensive linemen uh, like they're reportedly interested in doing in free agency. Uh, one wild card, and he's somewhat in our backyard down in Dayton, and it's been a long time since we talked about a football player coming out from Dayton, but Adam Troutman, the the, the tight end with a, with a nice week in Indianapolis, continuing to build upon his off season in preparation for the NFL Combine. Where do you see a guy like him going, and and a pretty valuable guy? Is he now one of the top two tight ends in this NFL draft? He's in the conversation. It's not a super. Um deep tight end class. Cole Komet probably is at the top of the list, but you could argue that Troutman's up there, that Harrison Bryant, the the kid out of FAU is up there. Hunter Bryant out of Washington as well. He didn't run, uh, he put on some weight and didn't run as well as people had hoped. I think he ran a 4.74. I think Troutman ran a 4.7 and changed, but look, man, that's fine for a tight end, and Troutman did so many good things at, at Dayton, but, and I talked to him about this, I said, look, um, last week I said, you went to Dayton, obviously you were dominating the FCS talent but you showed up at the senior bowl and you didn't seem worried at all he blocked his butt off he played really well in in, in the practices in terms of running routes and, and he said i just wanted to prove to people that i can play at this level and he did that i'm not so much worried about his four seven time i think he's probably a, a third round pick he could even go as high as the second round so if the browns were interested in him at 74 there's a really good chance he's going to be there i don't expect there to be a run in tight ends because this class like i said isn't all that deep but you can get players that do things really well. Troutman has some things to learn. Obviously, he has to get a little better as a pass blocker, and, and he will admit that. But um, there's no sort of Noah Fant or T.J. Hawkinson in this group. But that doesn't mean they're not going to turn out to be really good players. Travis Kelsey wasn't a first-round pick either. Uh, I think he may have run in the four sixes. But we've had uh, tight ends run four sevens who have been really good pros. I think Zach Ertz wasn't particularly fast, if I recall correctly, and I think he's turned out okay. But uh, I think third-round pick sounds about right for Troutman, and, and he could be there for Cleveland. Ryan, we appreciate the time. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ryan Wilson CBS, CBS Sports NFL 
draft analyst and NFL analyst. Appreciate the time, continued success, and we look forward to reading you a lot more here as we get closer to the 2020 NFL draft. Thanks so much for the time, Ryan. Thank you, guys. Thanks again to Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports. Appreciate a few minutes of his time on a, on a busy week recapping the NFL Combine. Uh, some interesting notes and, and, you know, falling in line, though, at the same time with it's a very deep draft, especially if you want an offensive lineman, especially if you want a wide receiver. Yeah, you know, it, and I think that it's, it's just going to be so interesting to me how uh, – I just don't know if we know which teams like which tackle because I think they're all really good. Yeah. And I think that's why it's there's not a clear-cut guy that's going to go first overall. Like, for him, he had Mekhi Becton as his – third offensive tackle off the board, a lot more people have him as their number one. I think it, you can find a mock draft with all three of these guys, Werfs, uh, Becton, and Wills as their first tackle off the board. The only one that isn't seem to be in that mix is Andrew Thomas, uh, but he's still a consensus top 15 guy. So the, yeah. all these guys are, are – uh, what I like about them is they are all really, really good. They're all really young, and they've all – Already, they somehow have all already proven the ability to help you on either side of the offensive line, which is where the Browns have needs at both those spots. All right, time to get into our combine awards. Uh, a little having a little fun here in episode six of the best podcast available. Give me your two players who helped themselves the most hanging into the draft in Indianapolis last week. Well, I think it's just by default. I think a guy like Tristan Wirfs helped himself the most. I, I, I think that he has. As some people have described, I feel like number 10 with the Browns is now his floor. Uh, I think that the, the, he's maybe escaped potentially slipping out of the top 10. Uh, I, I think there were maybe some doubts about him, the fact that he played right tackle his, his last couple years uh, at Iowa. But I, I think he has solidified that spot in the draft as where he will. The, the 10 is probably where he's going to bottom out. And I think that's a, that's a victory uh, for him. And, and I think, honestly, uh, my second big winner would be uh, an Isaiah Simmons. I mean, he's just really, really good, and he's a freak athlete. I think he, people, you you verify those times, you look good, and you give teams a lot to think about when it comes to that top part of the draft. And if you, now you don't see an off ball a guy like him go number three overall, but now that's something a team like the Detroit Lions really have to think about uh, at the number three three spot. I thought Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, did fairly well for himself at a at a position that doesn't have a lot of it uh, doesn't have a lot of guys. It's not very deep in this NFL draft. I thought he turned some heads a little bit. Uh, you heard me ask Trout uh, ask Wilson about Troutman, the tight end out of Dayton. I think he's helped himself a little bit. Is C.D. Lamb? Can you make a case for him being the number one wide receiver off the board at some point? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's enough concerns uh, a little bit with with. With I think you're it's it's going to come down to preference because I think him and Jerry Judy are both really really good. T Higgins from Clemson is also really good, and I think it's one of those where again, it, there's only a few positions where there's like a lock as the top guy off the board. Like Joe Burrow is going to be the first quarterback off the board. Running back, it looks like a guy like a J.K. Dobbins. Whenever they pick a running back, he's going to be your first guy off the board. Uh, but not Swift. Uh, yeah, I, I I I think I like Dobbins better. But again, uh, I like, like Dobbins. There's better. no there's no real leaders at a lot of these positions. And I think wide receivers the same way. It's going to come down to how these guys interview, how they see them fit within their offense. So sure, I can make a case for C.D. Lamb all day. I mean, I think that a lot of teams he had a really good combine performance, made a lot of great catches. 
Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a pretty easy case for, for him to be the top one. All right, who came into this combine with a lot to prove and just knocked it out of the park? So I'm gonna. it's kind of an off-the-radar name at offensive tackle, but he's someone that I don't even think the Browns could wait to get in the second round at this point, and I, that's Ezra Cleveland, the <laughs> offensive tackle for, for Boise State. I mean, he just he did great in all these every single one of these drills, especially uh, the three-cone drill. He had the best of any offensive tackle. I mean, he moved – really really well and he's not someone you really heard about much before this but now he, he's kind of worked himself into that late first round conversation and just another guy to potentially consider and he would be say you don't take an offensive tackle at number 10 he is basically in the running for you in the second round or if you make a move up late in the first round to go get an offensive tackle he's someone that proved a lot uh, and really stood out. We had Jordan Reed on from the Draft Network the other day, draft analyst, to get his thoughts. He's a former player, former college recruiter and whatnot. And uh, he he really – Ezra Cleveland really has stood out to him. He's done some nice tape work uh, on Ezra Cleveland on his Twitter handle as well. He He's a huge fan of Mr. Cleveland. The guy that I put down and the first one that came to mind didn't even work out at the Combine. It was Joe Burrow. We wanted to hear from Joe Burrow. There was all this talk. Does Joe Burrow really not want to go to Cincinnati? Does he not? He killed it in his press conference. And I heard the meetings that he did take. He wowed him. And, again, the the kid continues to just impress. You know, there were some questions. And maybe you attribute it to silly season. You know, does he really want to be a Bengal? Does he want to? He answered all the questions. Yeah, he's fine. He, he's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. He's going to go to Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati's got to put some things around him, and supposedly they're going to be active in free agency, and that may also include franchise tagging uh, A.J. Green, but they, they've he got to do some work. He allegedly convinced him. Yes. To, to put, I mean, if you have that kind of power already, I mean, that's, that's, that's saying something. I, I was workshopping, uh, as, as, as Drew, our producer, can attest, I was workshopping a take at the Combine that Joe Burrow was not the number one quarterback in this draft. It was not based on anything that I thought, but it would be a way to put myself out there as a contrarian in the media because that's a, it would be a very unpopular take. But, you know, say you ran Cincinnati Bengals daily and I'm out there saying that Joe Burrow is not the, the number one pick in the draft. You're bringing me on the show. Yeah, it would, it would get you a lot of invites. I mean, go back so, to Bucky in his top five. He had two over. Burrow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm workshopping this take that he's not the, the number one pick in the draft. And I, I think that uh, it would get me a lot of a lot of pub. So uh, I'm, I'm putting that idea out there for any of the amateur draft analysts out there. Put out a mock without Joe Burrow as your number one pick. You will get some invites. Yeah, I, I like that. All right. Hot takes. Yes. Hot, steaming People hot love takes. People yes. Love uh, the winner of the press conferences. So, Auburn defensive tackle Marlon Davidson. He is a uh, potential early second round defensive tackle, maybe late first round. He had a couple great moments, and his best answer was a question about what do you love most about football? And uh, I've got the full answer here. <laughs> he said, what do I love most about the game? I, lo I love most about the game is that this is true now. Okay, this is true. I love most about the game that I can literally go out there and hit a man consistently and pound him, and the police doesn't come. That is the most enjoyable moment about ball, to just go out there and really abuse somebody, and they won't say nothing in the press about it or anything. No headlines, no handcuffs, no mug shots, no nothing. I'm out here just physically abusing my man. <laughs> I mean, that's right up there. I had Okuda. I had Simmons. 
you yeah. know, Okuda telling a reporter to go back and watch my tape. You better rewatch things. That I think you might have that wrong uh, on exactly what you're rattling off style-wise. And I, I also enjoyed that Marlon Davison had the nickname for uh, Derek Brown. He said that they everyone called him Channel 5 <laughs> because he always had the news. Everything you got, every reporter, he knew it all. So we came to him for all the information he had. His nickname is Channel 5. Never one to not give you a soundbite. No, we was, like it, that. In, we we like that in the said. media. Uh, can I give a, a second? Uh, yes. I, I, there were so many good moments. Of the there game. were. And uh, I'm sticking with Auburn because Derek Brown had the, one of the best exchanges uh, at, at the podium that I saw. Uh, and he was asked, did you play any other sports in high school? He said, yes, I did. Football and basketball. What position were you in basketball? He said, center. How would you describe your basketball game? Dominant. <laughs> that was it. Next. Yes. Next so, question. No, no shortage <laughs> of confidence out of Derek Brown. The podiums were great this year. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you don't get a whole lot, or you get people asking questions that you're just scratching well, I, your head for 18 I minutes I think it over. goes back to being coached. These guys are getting coached, and I think that they've realized that you, the, be, the more that a player is themselves, the, the better they are. And my favorite thing was when I used to cover Alabama – and I would go to the combine. It was like these players got lobotomies. I mean, it really was. Like they would, they they would just come to the combine as new people because they've been out Alabama for so many years. Sure. And just being drilled in their head, say nothing, don't all, don't give all them a message, team yep. message. And it was so like refreshing to see these guys have a personality. Some of these guys who weren't even allowed to talk in college, they're all of a sudden allowed to go to the combine. You find out they're just so interesting. And that would be it. Would be one of my favorite things to just it would be like being introduced to a brand new person once they got to the combine. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, and that was uh, was pretty good on the combine awards. No, no shortage of uh, opportunities for trophies and ribbons uh, on that. Mock drafts. Everybody's got us taking offensive linemen. Yep. So I know at ClevelandBrowns.com, you asked Zagur and I to come up with a mock draft that'll be dropping here this week. You have a mock draft that will be dropping as well. And you asked us for every pick in the first round. Now, we all said offensive linemen. But you also asked us for the pick in the second round, pick number 41. And that's what I wanted to talk about just real quick to touch on. Th- these are total shots in the dark. and But it was guys that we thought could be there and be available. Uh, you had Zach Bond. Yep. The linebacker from Wisconsin. I'm being ambitious. That's, I, I had him at first, and I actually took him off because I just saw way too many mocks that I had him going in round one. And I'm like, even if he's there at round two, I don't know if he's going to get past no, pick number three or pick number yeah. four. But I like his game. It's ambitious. It's going back to the well linebacker from Wisconsin. He's yes. more of an edge threat than, than maybe a Joe Schobert was. But he fits kind of what you need. And, and some other types of players, I think uh, Ryan mentioned Josh Uche from from Michigan, he's another type. A Terrell Lewis from Alabama. That's a position I see potentially getting addressed in the second round. So Bond is maybe the 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 ceiling on on what I think can happen uh, with the Browns in the second round, addressing your needs at edge and or linebacker. So Bond is my ambitious hopeful at number forty one, but I could see an Uche, a Terrell Lewis, guys that that kind of fit that that model, and maybe even the, the guy he mentioned that had the worst combine. Uh, A.J. Epinesa, could the Browns benefit from a total free fall because of his bad 40 time? That That's someone that I'm keeping my eyes on because he's someone that plays really good. And there was a reason he was in the first-round discussion before his combine, and I think a lot of teams could potentially overreact to that. Zagura had uh, Yeter Gross Matos. 
Maybe I butchered that. Maybe yep. I did. Another ambitious pick. Defensive end from Penn State. We've seen him late first round in a lot of mocks, but mm. a guy that could fall depending if there's a run on wide receivers or you know, the, the secondary positions that are fairly limited uh, could fall into the second round. A guy that uh, has been dinged up a little bit, but when he's been on the field and been healthy, shows that he's a pretty dominant player. Yeah, and it's another – I think there's a theme developing here, especially if you address offensive line in, with your first pick. I would have a hard time seeing you address another offensive position in the second round, mostly not just because you're you're trying to fit needs, but I just think that's where the strength of the draft goes after that point. I, I just can't identify a wide receiver you have to have, a tight end you have to have, an offensive guard you have to have, certainly a quarterback or a running back. I just don't see those positions jumping out in the second round for you. All right, and then finally, uh, I had the linebacker from Appalachian State, Akeem Davis-Gaither. Again, it could be a stretch, but you know, six and a half sacks in his last two years, 15 passes defensed, pretty good player, and could be a guy that's gone earlier than that, but could be a guy that's on the board as well. That's a couple small school guys from North Carolina to keep an eye on. Him and Kyle Duggar out of Lenore Ride. Yeah. I like Duggar a lot. I don't know if you get him at 41, you might have that might be a reach, but – what I like about Duggar is not only is he a safety that plays really well, but he is a return man, and that's something that could intrigue one Mike Prefer. He he only played in seven games as a senior. He had an injury, but he returned two punts for touchdowns, averaged nearly 15 yards a punt. Someone else to keep an eye on, a potential small school addition. All right, still lots to get to as we work our way to the 2020 NFL Draft at the end of April. Up next, the pro days begin, and I be, begin as early as this week, as early as tomorrow or Friday and into the weekend. Some of the pro days to keep your eye on, obviously March 18th with Georgia, uh, March 23rd, Iowa, the 24th, Alabama. Alabama's going to have two because Tua will have his own workout yep. in April. Uh, Alabama on March 24th, Ohio State on March 25th, Louisville on March 26th, and, of course, free agency starts two weeks from now we think we think who knows with what's going on with our fantastic cba and player votes and all of those kind of deals so uh we want to thank ryan wilson for his time i want to thank drew davidson spinning the dials this week ricky sowinski for always doing an outstanding job helping us out with graphics paul taylor kind of managing the whole thing and keeping us on the rails to keep the train moving smoothly each and every week. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today to the best podcast available. We're back with you next Thursday for episode number seven. This has been the best podcast available.